Jonathan Pasquale. I'm one of the elders here at Resonate, and I'm going to echo that call for helping out with our youth um, because I have uh, three kids who are part of that group, and sometimes we make up uh, half of the youth group, and so it's really important to our family, uh, and um, those numbers are going to change. Like you said, it, it is they outnumber us over there in that wing of the church, um, all the little ones, and so please uh, pray about and maybe get involved in that way. Um, well, if you haven't noticed, uh, over the course of the summer, you guys have been experiencing something pretty unique. Our lead teacher, elder pastor, is Chris, and Chris has been on sabbatical, and it was the first sabbatical he took really in like 10 years, and so he and his family are still out until next month, and so you've had the pleasure, and right now we have six elders and so the, the rest of us have been up here um, teaching in this portion of the service. And it's something we're not professionals at. So all of us have day jobs, except for Ed, who just retired. Um, uh, but he had a day job. Uh, and so uh, thank you for, for bearing with us. You know, when it's not polished, it's not perfect. We, we don't do this day in and day out or week in, week out like Chris does. And so I think it also speaks to kind of really who we are as the church, right? Like we all bring different gifts as the body of Christ. And, um, and, and for us who are up here teaching, it is a huge responsibility. We want to steward well. And so again, thank you for bearing with us when it, it's not that polished. And sometimes maybe we're factually incorrect about some things. That's why we want you to hold the word in your hands and check us uh, because this is the authority. Um, and of course, we have a position of authority within this body, but really we are all under the authority of the Lord. Um, so with that, I'm going to read uh, our passage getting into this morning. We're going to be continuing our series in Ephesians. So all through this summer, while the elders are preaching, we're preaching through the book of Ephesians, and we are all the way in chapter 5 now. So we've gone every week going through about uh, half of a chapter. And so we do want you to, to open up Bibles. There are some in the seatbacks in front of you if you don't have one, um, or pull up your phone. Those all have Bibles. And I will read Ephesians 5, the first 21 verses. Okay, it is a little bit lengthy, uh, but it's the Word of God. It's good. So let me read. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral and impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this opportunity we have to gather together and worship. Thank you for the freedom that we have in this nation, in this time, to do this without persecution, without fear. Thank you for your word and the gift that it is and your Holy Spirit giving us wisdom and discernment as we open it up and dive in. I pray, God, that you teach us. I pray that you speak through me and in spite of me and my brokenness. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in our fellowship this morning. Amen. So, I love a good nap. And there are pictures to prove it. So, that's uh, me with my dad. Uh, There are more. Uh, Oh, yep, there's Quinn Case. So, napping with friends around. Um, that's our dog, Gracie. There's uh, another cameo of the Moles who used to, used to be here. Brian used to do a lot of music with us. Um, and the Rose right there, yeah. So th- this is actually real. If you're wondering why the pictures are square, it's because they're all on Instagram. <laughs> In my wife's feed. And there is a hashtag, this is no lie, hashtag Jonathan Naps. And as of today, there are 119 posts, and there are no other Jonathans on there. So this is legit, and, uh, and really, if we talk about napping a little bit, the definition of a classic Jonathan nap is that it's at a time or a place uh, when most normal people would be doing something else productive, uh, something else engaging with others, and of course, it's Sarah who usually will gently nudge me and wake me up with a little Hey, rise and shine. And when I take those naps, I'm, I'm no good to anyone else, right? I'm, I'm fulfilling a, a personal felt need of uh, some, some rest and some sleep. But really, I, in a way, I kind of waste that time and that opportunity because intentionally I've closed my eyes to the light that's around me and I have knowingly embraced the darkness of the backs of my eyelids. And uh, I'm, I'm not awake, I'm not operating with eyes open to the light like I should be. See where I'm going with this, okay? Because here's where we're going today. As Christians in the world, our purpose is to actively live in the light in a way that imitates and glorifies the Lord. And we are not supposed to waste even a moment of our lives spiritually napping. We shouldn't even dabble in trying to mess around with any of that. We're supposed to be walking and not napping not dabbling in the deeds of darkness. And so Paul has this encouragement to the Ephesians that we just read, and it's an encouragement to us also today. Let's go through this, um, start to finish, and imitators of what the word of the Lord has for us. So verse one, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we start with the transition word, therefore, this is connecting it to previous passages, the rest of the book. This is not in isolation, it never is. And so in the context of Ephesians, you've got to remember the first three chapters that Paul set up, he's talking about what, what did God do for us in Christ? You know, this is the gospel story. 
the first half of Ephesians. And then we've been getting into, with chapter fours, five, and six, we get into, now what does that mean for us? How, how should that permeate every area of our lives? How should that inform and affect everything that we do and everything that we say? And that's, that's our story. So we have the first half is God's story and, and, and the, the gospel story, and the second half is, is really applied directly to our lives and our story. And so that's where we are in this. We're in the middle of Paul saying, this is, this is what you're doing um, very practically. And Hoffa led us last week. He used an analogy of a duck. Listen to it if you, if you didn't catch it. Um, and talked about how we're supposed to put off the old self and put on the new self. And that these themes carry throughout Ephesians. And uh, what we're going to see today, um, or, you know, in, here in this verse, there's a very direct and relatable instruction to imitate God in the same way that a child imitates a father. Okay, we know this, this happens. Um, I was just talking with Lee Rochelle before the service, um, and uh, we're talking about becoming like dads. And I had photo evidence. There was, there was, you know, a picture of me and my dad napping. He's the one I really saw the example growing up, and then I'm living it out. Uh, Ransom, if you know him, he's, he's a fireball, nine-year-old, my son, and he is my mini-me in so many different ways. He's becoming like me. He imitates me in a lot of ways. And so think about this, you know, w- whether you have kids or not, this is the truth about kids in our culture. Um, a child goes out into the real world and out in the public, so their schools, their grocery store, or, or uh, a friend's house for a birthday party, and they bear the name of their parents, right? The same last name. They, they carry that name. And when people observe that child's actions, it's a reflection on the parents. People say, okay, like, he carries this name. Oh, I can guess it, what their parents are like. And, and we make those kinds of judgments. And we could see when Paul's talking to Christian believers, it's a similar thing. He's writing to the church in Ephesus. And so he's talking to the children of God in a place where others are going to be observing this huge city, this historic city of Ephesus in now modern-day Turkey. But it was a lost city. It was dark. There was, there was the temple to Artemis, um, the, the Greek goddess of fertility. And as people see these children of God who carry the name Christian, they're going to make these assessments, you know, for better or worse, just like children with their parents in our culture. And Paul's saying that the name that you bear, it means something. However you act, it gives people a sense of what's your heavenly father like? And, and they see, okay, you're imitating something. You're acting like something. I think I can get a sense of who the father is. So we're commanded to imitate God. Now, how do we imitate God? I mean, do we say, okay, build a temple in my name and bow down and worship me? No. Okay, so immediately Paul gives a clarification. He's not saying imitate every single aspect and truth of who God is. He's saying, as beloved children and walk in love. We imitate God in his love. But then also, we know in our culture, love can be ambiguous. We can define it relatively however we want. And it's misinterpretation. It's not biblical godly love. So it's absolutely important to continue reading the rest of the verse. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's the way we're supposed to imitate God in love. And you can't separate out this definition of godly love from the truth of the gospel, all right? They come hand in hand a lot of times throughout scripture. God's love is tied to that person he gave his one and only son. And then something 
even more direct, 1 John 4, 9 says, in this, the love of God was made manifest. So love of God, made real, made tangible, manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. So Jesus is the tangible expression of God's love. All right? And then if we follow his example, in his example, what did he do? He gave himself up. It was a life of sacrifice. This is what it says in, in here, that, that he lived in a way for others, for us, and he was obedient to the Father. His, his life was a fragrant offering to him. So in following the example of Christ, it's others-focused, and it's obedient to the Father. It's sacrificial. That's the kind of love that we're supposed to live out. But here's our problem. Of course we want to live like that. Like, no one's going to say, oh, no, I don't want to walk in love. I don't want to follow the example of Christ. But as believers, we are in the world. We are still in it, even though we're not of it. And so we're faced with sin, the ugliness of the world. We're faced with temptation. And the question to us is, like, how, how are we going to deal with that? How do we respond to that? Do we give in to the temptation? Do, do we say, okay, this is, this is a battle. I need to call out all the sins that I see in judgment of others. Like, should I be focusing on that, or should I focus instead on walking in the light? Like, Paul is going to be dealing with these kinds of things. That's what we're going to get into. And so, look over the next few verses. I won't read it again, but, but Paul lists out the ways that Christians shouldn't be acting, okay? Again, thematically, throughout Ephesians, we're seeing, he says, here's the old, and then here's the new. Here's, the, here's what was before, and here's what you have been transformed into because of Christ. So, he sets up again, kind of these things that, that were, or what the world is. And what does he list off as these sins of the world, okay? So, it, it's several. He says that, um, that it is sexual immorality and impurity, and covetousness, okay? Filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. And remember, he's talking to a people in a culture on the other side of the world 2,000 years ago. If you just read this list, you'd think, he's talking to us today. Like, the, the Bible is, is living and active. It's relevant. It crosses time and culture. We can read this, and we can identify pretty immediately if someone listed it out, you wouldn't even know necessarily it's from the Bible. You would say, yeah, these are problems in our culture. So understand the idea that Paul's getting across. He, he's describing all these things, and I won't get into every single one of them, but, but he's painting this picture of the world out there. There's, there's a prevailing culture that is trying to live by its own rules. It pushes the bounds of morality and, and appropriateness. And it's a culture that says, in fact, there are no rules. It's really relative in defining what's okay and what's not. A culture that for them and for us says, I can do whatever I want. Any form of sex is okay as long as it feels good and there's consent, maybe. It's, it's a culture that says it's okay to covet, to want what you don't have and to get it for yourself because you deserve it because you, you deserve a reward for hard work. And it's okay to speak irreverently or crudely, because it's just a joke. The surrounding culture, then and now, tries to normalize what should be morally abnormal. And look at the way Paul talks about these things. He's setting up this, okay, here's, here's the darkness, here's the way of the world, you're called out of that. He says it's improper to act like that. 
out of place for the people of God to do those things. And he says, do not be partners with them in these acts. So brothers and sisters, it's not okay to look like the world. It's not okay to be found doing the things of the world. In what ways are you with the lost and just like the world? Looking like you're a partner with the lost. And we don't have time to dwell on this for long, but I'd encourage you to really do some serious self-examination. Um, I'll just tease out a couple of these because they are common struggles, right? The things that jump out on this list, sexual immorality. Huge problem then, huge problem now. It's one of the more obvious ones that tends to be talked about. And I'm gonna talk about it in terms of, okay, what, what ways are you partnering with the lost, with sexual immorality, through what you're watching? For some, it is an addiction to pornography. We know the seriousness of that. For others, maybe it's just that Netflix show that you justified watching, but if your grandma were sitting next to you, you'd be embarrassed. How about the ways that you joke around? Are you known for always being negatively sarcastic? Have you gotten a little too comfortable with sexual innuendo? Are you the one who kind of jumps in in conversation with your friends and drops the, that's what she said. We've become too comfortable with looking like the world, with dabbling in these things that really we're supposed to be pushing away and saying, that's what we were. That's not what we are anymore. We're called out of that. It's improper. It's wrong for me to get so comfortable. I even participate. I look like I'm partnering with a lost world in it. What kind of, what kind of witness are we living to the world if we allow ourselves that kind of justification. So this doesn't mean that, that if you call yourself a Christian, um, and if you, are, if you are a Christian, commit these sins or any of these sins, it doesn't mean that you lose your salvation. That, that's not what we're saying, okay? When we sin, it's not that our spiritual transformation is all of a sudden undone, and then we're going to hell now. Like, remember from Ephesians 4.30, if you just look on the previous page, maybe, or same page in the Bible, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of your redemption. If sinning loses us our salvation, then we would be more powerful than God because we can break that seal of the Spirit. But that is not the truth, okay? So don't, don't hear me say that you lose salvation if you, if you end up sinning, sinning. But when we fall into the same traps of sin, when we allow ourselves to even dabble in that, in the sins that the world is characterized by, it is improper, it is out of place. It's not befitting the children of God who we are. When, when our words and actions look just like the lost in certain aspects, it looks like we're partners with them. So if you bear the name Christian, your, your walk should stand out. Your life should look different. And the areas of particular note that Paul brings up are, are areas of sex, with coveting, with desiring something that you don't have and, and want to get for you. Our materialistic culture, definitely that's true. And it deals with the appropriateness of, of what comes out of your mouth because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right, we gotta move on. He introduces this analogy of darkness and light. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. This is verse eight. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Okay, this is the first time in, in this book, not in the whole Bible, but in this book where Paul introduces this analogy, darkness and light. Okay, so, so what do we experience when we experience darkness? I'm asking that literally. Like I actually wanted to turn off all the lights 
here and then uh, talk about experiencing darkness, but this is a new building and we haven't figured out how to do that yet. And you have to turn off the, the switch on the breaker box and that's all the way on the other side. So we can't do that. All right, so we're gonna do, uh, I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. Somebody, somebody, somebody. Oh, my daughter Favor, thank you for volunteering. Oh, yeah. Okay, come on, come on, come on. All right, so um, instead of flipping out all the lights, here's what we're gonna do. I'm walking forward, done it, okay. Uh, I have a blindfold. Let, let's go over here to the back of the room. Um, and we're gonna simulate darkness and just talk about uh, that experience a little bit, all right? So, Favor, you look around, is it dark right now? No, it's not dark right now, okay, but it's about to be. Okay, at least for you, and then we'll talk about it. So, um, so you have glasses, I know, I'm sorry. Okay, all right, here we go. Okay, so now, can you see anything? No, it's dark, right? Yeah, okay, do you remember there is a cross in the corner of the room? Yeah? yeah? Let's, let's walk over here a little bit. Um, how easy is it to walk? You know this place, okay, okay, okay. So we'll go all the way here, here and, and you don't really know, we'll do one of these. Okay, and then so how easy do you think it is to walk right now? It, it, she says easy, okay. I want you to walk and touch that cross. Go. Ah, oh, easy, huh? Okay, she can't see where she's going. She's, she's feeling her way through, stumbling a little bit. Okay, go, go ahead and take off the blindfold. Go, and, and go, touch, go touch the cross. Go, go, go. Can you see? Oh, you can't see your glasses. All right, there's another analogy there. Okay, she's legally blind. Um, all right, now, now go over there, run over there, go, 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 go again, touch the cross. Yeah, whole lot easier. She's not stumbling. She can see, she can see where she's going. She can see this goal and she's going there, awesome. Yeah, yeah, almost there, almost there, yay! Okay, yeah, thank you, Favor! Okay, super simple, and I know, I know this is obvious, right? Like, we know what light and darkness is, we know what it takes to see. We hear these analogies in the Bible, and I think we don't really picture it sometimes. The theme of darkness and light is found all throughout the Bible, and in the Gospels, we're presented with this idea that the spiritual state of the world was darkness, okay? It, 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 it was that complete darkness. We can't see. We can't see where we're going. We have no direction in life. It says in John 1 that Christ came into this world as light. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. Okay? Christ is the light. He is that source. And Paul talks about walking, so he merges these two analogies, light and darkness, and then walking. And he talks about walking all throughout Ephesians. In the previous chapter, he said that those without Christ, the Gentiles, they are like ones walking in the darkness. They're walking pointlessly, darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So it's like they've got their eyes closed or blindfolded on. They're in the dark. They cannot see. It's impossible for them. But we who have Christ have had our eyes opened to the light that is Christ. We can see, we do have direction, we have purpose. And if we keep our eyes open and fixed on Jesus, looking for how to please God, we will walk true and straight and proper, not stumbling, and we will even run with perseverance. 
the race that's marked out for us. Problem is, again, we are still in the world. Yes, we've seen the light, but we're in the world. Darkness is still there. And there is a temptation to sin and dabble in that darkness. It's like we've got blindfolds we're carrying around. And even though we've seen the light, we've been introduced to it every now and then. We're like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this. Why would we do that? I think the Ephesian believers were struggling with this. They're struggling with, with being in the world, having seen the light, but the darkness is right there. I think they're struggling with sin. They're not perfect. And the reason I think that that's true is because he wrote this letter. Like, there's a reason he's saying, don't act like the world, because I think there's some people in the church, maybe most of the church, who were doing that. They were giving in to those temptations. They were acting like the world, and it's like they had forgotten the light or were willfully putting on blinders, blindfolds. So when we act just like those who are lost in the world, it's like we're just closing our eyes again. And we're told here, your eyes have been opened, you've experienced life and light, you've, you've beheld the beauty of the Lord, and it's wonderful and awe-inspiring and so good. Walk in the light. But it's not easy, and, and I think that's why Paul uses the word in this verse that says, try. Try to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. It takes effort. It's a journey that we're on. It's a lifetime of obedience we have to, every morning, every day, deny ourselves the parts that are still tempted, the parts that still love the world. We have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow him. That's what Jesus said it takes to be his disciple. But you can't just will yourself to walk in the light and never stumble. What you have to say is, I can't do this on my own. We know it is hard. That's why we have a savior. That's why we have a helper of the Holy Spirit. When we are trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, Maybe every morning we're going to his word. We're being reset. We're saying, okay, I know I can't do this. That's why I need your help. And in that, we show who our Lord is. In that, we are showing that we are children of God. All right, move on to verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things they do in secret. That's really interesting. It talks about exposing the darkness. How do we expose the darkness? Is it through yelling at the darkness that it's too dark? Are, are we supposed to tell the world, hey, you're too worldly? But think about what darkness and light relation have with each other. How do you expose the darkness? Not through yelling at the darkness. It's through being light. It's a, it's a slight shift of focus here that I think is so important. And yes, there's a time and place for speaking up against certain sins and injustice. That's not what I'm talking about. But, but when the world knows us as those who just shake their head and wag their finger at them, saying, oh, you're doing what's wrong, the light of Christ. Instead, we're just yelling at the darkness for being dark. There's an old song based on scripture that says, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. You, get, you guys grew up singing that? Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. But in our culture, the, the reputation Christians have is, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our vocal condemnation and inherent bigotry. Like, that's what they know us as. Why aren't we known for being light? Why aren't we known for living lives that are different instead of always focusing on condemning sin 
the sinful for being sinful, the world for being worldly, the dark for being dark. Think about how the role of the law was to do that. It was to point out sin, to show what was dark, what was wrong. And why would we say that our role as Christ followers is to do the exact same thing that the law was doing, which was powerless to bring life. So let's not busy ourselves with condemning the world and focusing on that. Again, there's a time and place for calling out sin. But we are not busy enough shining the light of Christ, imitating God and Christ, walking in sacrificial love. So when we strive to walk as Jesus did, when it's other-focused, when, it, when it is obedient and submissive to the Father, that's when we expose the darkness. That's when we shine a light. Not by focusing on the darkness, but by focusing on being light. All right, let's move on. Verse 13. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now, this is set apart as a quote. If you read commentaries and look at theologians, um, what they have to say, no one knows where this comes from. <laughs> but we can read the context, and we kind of see here, all right, it's... It, it's kind of like this, this verse in Isaiah, and, um, but I, I really think we can look at it very plainly and see that this continues Paul's argument, his, his analogy of darkness and light. And I think it has a twofold purpose. It, it talks about waking up those who, who are spiritually dead and asleep, and, and it's saying that as we hold out the light of Christ, we're saying, wake up, like here, here's, here's the light of Christ. Come into the light. But I think... He is also talking to believers. This whole book is a letter written to the Ephesian church. And so when he quotes something like this, and it's talking to you in second person, and it's saying, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and the light of Christ will shine on you. I think he's saying sometimes when you are sinning and choosing to act in certain ways like the world, what you've already been called out from, but when you start looking like them, it's like you put that blindfold back on. You've shut yourself off to the light. And you need to wake up. It's like you're spiritually napping. That's not right. It's not proper. Rise and shine. Wake up from your nap. And after you wake up, now it's time to walk. He starts talking about a little more practically. What does this walk look like? Verse 15, look there carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Read this and hear the importance and urgency, okay? Your eyes are open, now, now walk the walk. It is important, it's imperative for us to do that. We have to watch out for ourselves. We gotta look carefully. We have to make the best use of the time. We can't waste even a moment. It's a journey. So every day when we wake up, we're in this world and we have the moments stewarded that we, we are stewarding and the choice, are we going to walk like the world or are we going to walk like the believers and the Christ name bearers that we are and live as children of the light, walk as children of the light. One of the tools that we have at our disposal is talking to God about it, of, uh, of try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How do we do that? We have, we have prayer. We have the word. We have God's written word to us. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we got to center ourselves there every morning, every day. 
And if you say, oh, well, I gotta do my quiet time at night, that's the only time I have time. What are you doing the rest of the day? Where's your mind? Where's your heart? It's another sermon. Move on. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, he's getting to the really specifics. What does the Spirit-filled believer look like? How are we walking and looking different from the world? It's kind of weird, but here's what he's saying. The Spirit-filled believer sings with others and sings alone and means it. And sings about how you're supposed to conduct yourself in the marketplace and um, music experience inwardly in our thoughts and feelings. And, and when it's something really important to us and gives us all the feels, I would say that we know that Taylor Swift sings about really cool music. Uh, and that's what's in her heart. <laughs> I, I'm not judging Taylor Swift, really cool music. Um, but when we are singing to worship the one true God here, crying out in prayer and praise, like that's, that's showing the cry of our heart is centered on him, that he's the one who moves us. He's the one who's important to us. And so we sing. We did it. We had a couple songs just now. We'll have the opportunity to do that again with a few more songs in a little bit. And so together, that is a shared expressive experience connected to the most important thing in our life. Why wouldn't we think about that and do that intentionally and purposefully and think about how we're doing it? And so it says, singing music in your heart. You have to examine your heart when you're singing these songs. Don't just stand there and mindlessly follow along with the words. I'm gonna call us out for doing that. We, a lot of us do that, all right? Pay attention. How else would you connect kind of your heart and then singing when we're here in church? I think this is gonna be different, okay? I think that posture is a part of this. I'm gonna make you a little uncomfortable right now, okay? So we'll go through a little exercise, okay? Everyone cross your arms, all right? All right, this being a posture of being closed off, all right? Just think about how, how does this make you feel? I was watching some of you do this during the songs. Okay, all right. Reflect on that a little bit. Now, it'll make you uncomfortable. Track with me. Open your hands, just like this. Maybe close your eyes. Think about how that makes you feel. All right, do something a little different. I want you to raise your hands all the way up outstretched above your head. All right, you can, you can put your hands down. Maybe a little vulnerable, but there's this connection between your physical body and then your heart and your mind. Just as much as out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks and sings, I think out of the overflow of the heart, your body can react, and I think it's cyclical too. I think that, that intentionally posturing yourself in certain ways can have an effect on your mindset and your heart set. And it can lead us to making music in our hearts to the Lord. So we'll have opportunity to sing again. I want you to think about it. It's not a test and we're judging you if you don't do it or not, but I want you to think about it. If you've never opened your hands, even just like this, you know, not everyone has to look, but just a little bit different. Think about how it affects your heart. 
Okay, so, so the spirit-filled believer also gives thanks, okay? Sings, thinks about how he's singing, and then also gives thanks, and it says, always and for everything. And this idea of giving thanks always is really common in Paul's writings. I'll quote some other verses real quick. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it says, be joyful always and pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Rest the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Um, and that's so important, I actually tattooed it on my wrist in Greek, those verses. Uh, in Philippians 4, 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, Thankfulness is how we pray, how we reduce anxiety and bring the peace of God to our minds and hearts. In Colossians 2, 6-7, it says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing with thanksgiving. The Christian walk is characterized by thanksgiving. So, shouldn't you make it a, a, a tangible practice in your daily life to give thanks? Not just in November, on that day, that is Thanksgiving Day, Every day. And, and so, right now, I, I just want you to, to shout out. What are you thankful for? Go ahead, someone else. What are you thankful for? Yeah. Listen to these things that people are, are, are saying. One person, what are you thankful for? Salvation. Oh, man. Good. Why don't you start a gratitude journal? Uh, that's one of those things that's kind of kind of hip to the pop culture, like that we can start a journal journal and it affects your daily life, whatever. In chewing on this, I've been, I've been journaling about what am I thankful for? I've been doing it in the beginning of the day and, and when I do it then, it really sets my mind for the day. When I do it at the end of the day, it gives me really good perspective processing what happened. Do that practice. Even if you don't journal regularly, just take out a sticky note and just write, write on a scrap piece of paper and throw it away, it doesn't matter. It's the exercise of giving thanks so these observable aspects, singing and giving thanks, it is a characteristic of someone being filled by the Spirit. It is this walk of love, walk in the light. It's part of how we live out being a special called out holy people and it's different from the world. When people see these kinds of acts, they see the way that we sing together, okay? They see how you give thanks and they're like, huh, that person calls themselves a Christian. I can get an idea of the God that they serve. That, that he's the one who moves their heart to singing. The one who stirs their emotions and feelings and the things that are most important to those people. And thankfulness. That God is a God who provides, who's in control. And man, they're even thanking in, in the bad circumstances? What's that about? That must be a really incredible God. And our lives look even more radical when we combine that singing and thanksgiving with this final verse, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this rounds it all out. I mean, mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. We Christians were called to be different. It affects everything, walking in love and in light, not partnering with the deeds of darkness, not putting on that spiritual blindfold and pretending like we're partnering with the world. We sing and we give thanks and every one of our relationships is affected positively by our identity in Christ. And, and Jonathan Mayo is gonna be preaching next week. 
And, uh, and he's gonna be talking about those relationships of husband and wife and, and parents and children and, and, and masters and bondservants. So as we wrap up this message, remember this imperative to rise and shine. Don't take a nap. Don't close your eyes and walk in the darkness like the lost. Walk in love and in light as Christ did and shine appropriately and properly, putting off those deeds of darkness. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord and give thanks because you belong to the light. Rise and shine. And if you're not a believer, and there is a chance that someone in here isn't, we want to preach the gospel message to you. Jesus is amazing. We have hope and life in him. Because we know the world is looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And maybe you're one who hasn't found those answers in this world. And maybe everyone you come across seems to let you down. Jesus doesn't. Truly, we have abundant life in him and in him alone. If that's you, maybe you're one who, who feels like you are in darkness, and then every time you talk to that Christian friend of yours who you really trust and are friends with, you feel the warmth of light in some kind of way. Every time you come in here and songs are sung around you, something is different. I hope that it feels different. That is the light of Christ that's there, and I pray that he opens the eyes of your heart, because he's the only one who can do it. You can't force yourself awake, you can't force yourself to say that that's God who's done that. He's reached out and he's made you alive. I'm with you. There's, there's rooms there. There's going to be people back there um, ready to pray with you at, during communion and everything. We're going to enter into a time of communion. And uh, we just said that we're supposed to be giving thanks always and for everything. And here's a fun truth, okay? Communion is also called the Eucharist, right? Okay? And Eucharist comes from a Greek word, Eucharistia, that means thanksgiving. It means thanksgiving. So when we're doing this, we are giving thanks, okay? Really cool. We're doing what we're supposed to do as spirit-filled believers. And so we give thanks to God the Father that our Savior Jesus Christ, before he suffered, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. At his last supper, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, we proclaim our faith as signed and sealed in this sacrament. Let's say it together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Let us pray.